grateful for God's mercy and his grace. And uh, we're going to kind of take up where we left off uh, last week, um, which we had finished on the three harvests. And since we're in this season of end times, we're going to continue on that with um, what's going on right now and how it relates. So this is an update to a, a series that we taught about three years ago, The Mystery of Iniquity, and I just thought it was timely that we take stock of where we are and what is happening in our world. So let's dive right in. And of course, in the New Testament, some of the key scriptures are written by Paul to the Thessalonians. And he says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Amen. So Paul here was giving a, an update in his time of the fact that Satan's power was trying to work even then. He calls it the mystery of iniquity. But he also says there was something that was withholding and stopping uh, that plan from coming to fruition, and it would continue to withhold until the right time. So we're going to look and see where we are on the prophetic timeline tonight. And of course, the probably the foremost prophecy that concerns end times that we can find in the Bible um, that is a, a real explicit scripture, of course, is in Daniel, uh, starting from chapters 8 through to the end of the book. But one of the key chapters is in Daniel chapter 9. Um, as I taught uh, in the last three weeks about the times of the harvest, I said that the seven-year uh, triggering or initial event, according to Daniel, would be the confirming of the covenant. So let's read that and go into that. In Daniel chapter 9, 24, God reveals to Daniel his overall plan of salvation for the nation of Israel, for the, for the church, and the world from a strategic level. He says, 70 weeks or 70 sets of seven are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And he gives six things that are going to be accomplished to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And the angel starts to explain what the, will be the key events, what will be the triggering event for the countdown. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven sevens, or 49 years, plus Three score and two years, or 62 sets of sevens. The street will be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after 
60 and two sets of sevens, or as it's called, their weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Of course, that was literally fulfilled in AD 70 when the Romans came and destroyed the temple. Just as Jesus had predicted when he came to Jerusalem for the last time and he said, not one stone shall be left upon another. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27. And then it jumps forward in history to our time. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week or one set of seven. And in the midst of the seven, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation, in other words, the offerings, to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be. So it it appears to state that there will be some kind of covenant, contract, treaty that begins or initiates this period that we call the tribulation. But in the middle of the seven-year period, there will be a change. And of course, we studied that a little bit uh, in our series on the harvest, that in the middle of the seven years, there is war in heaven. And it's at that time where uh, Satan tries to completely uh, go all out to destroy um, all who call the name of Jesus. So what is to come? Where are we? Well, let's read some New Testament scripture on that. It says, Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, since my great-grandfather, since my grandfather, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I don't see any change. But verse 5 says this, For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's saying that's exactly what the people in the time of Noah said when Noah was predicting judgment. Oh, come on now Noah, there's never been rain. Nothing like this has ever happened. And it says they became willingly ignorant, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What is this telling us? It's telling us that um, he's not going to destroy with water but this time with fire. This time with fire. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Peter here is trying to explain that what God has said is going to happen is going to happen. And we're going to start to look at this. And first, to understand this, we're going to have to start with some clues that God has given us for signs, some breadcrumbs, some things that he has called out for us to watch for, to know what season we are in. Right now, it's starting to get cold. The leaves are starting to turn color. So we know that we are 
coming out of summer and into the fall. Similarly, God has put other things in creation for us to look at to know what season we are in. In Genesis 1.14, he said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. People wonder why there are so many stars. Why are there so many uh, celestial objects? Well, the Bible says that they are for signs and for seasons. What we find is in the starting with the creation of the earth that there are certain cycles of time that God bases his plans upon. And of course, the obvious one is the number seven. So let's look at that. In, in the Greek, it's called the, the for seven, it's hept, heptic, heptatic calendar or the calendar of sevens. The first division, of course, is seven days. Uh, I've read that during the French Revolution, they tried to go to a 10-day week, and that just did not work. The very nature of creation of our earth and the rotation and the cycles are, are fixed and tied to a 24-hour uh, day and night cycle. And so the first division of time uh, in, in, in days is the week, or the seven days, and then the seventh day is the Sabbath or the day of rest. But there is more to that. We find that uh, when God instituted all of the feasts, that there was the next um, grouping of seven was seven weeks. He told them that you were to count off uh, seven sets of seven, and on the 50th day would be the feast of uh, harvest for the wheat harvest. And we call that Shavuot or Pentecost. And then the next largest grouping, we find that in the religious year, which starts in Nisan, that there are seven months in which the major uh, Jewish feasts fall. And the religious year, you could call that. And that we find in Exodus 12, on the night that they left uh, Egypt, that God said, there's going to be a resetting of the calendar. And he said, now this month is going to be the first of months to you. And so for the religious year, it starts in Nisan first. And then on the 15th is the Passover because it commemorates the day that they left Egypt. The next grouping is also really critical and important in our study tonight is the seven of years. And that's called a sabbatical year. God told them that every seventh year they were to allow allow the land to lie fallow. They were not to plant. They were to let it rest. And they were to be able to collect double on the sixth year so that they could survive for the seventh year. And then the grouping after that is seven sets of sabbatical years is the time between the Jubilee year, which would be the 50th year. So after celebrating seven sets of seven, the 50th year was called the Jubilee so the, the grouping still goes on, but we're going to stop there for now because we want to understand how these cycles of seven play into our current uh, calendar and how we uh, can look at what we, where we are on God's timeline. So we find that God told them that the setting of the calendar was tied to these celestial objects, to the sun, the moon principally, and the earth. And so... We see that 
As the earth goes round the sun, because of the fact that it is inclined at an angle, we get seasons. At some parts of the year, it's closer to the sun, and at some parts of the year, it's further away from the sun because the earth's axis is not straight up. It's inclined at about a 23-degree angle. And as it goes round the sun, there are times in the year where the day and night cycle are equal. And those times are called equinoxes from the Latin because the day and the night cycle are equal. And so we find that twice a year this happens from winter to summer and back again. Two times a year there are times when the day and night cycle are equal. Now, why is this important? Because God used this as the uh, cornerstone or as the event to time all of the feasts, all of the months of the year, and the whole Jewish year. And that's why it is it is critical. It was not tied to um, anything that was going to be changing very quickly. Bible says while winter and harvest and, 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 and summer, that the seasons were going to remain. So we find that sometime in the midsummer, usually in June on our calendar, is the longest Day, daylight period or the summer solstice and then sometime around the 21st of December will be the shortest daylight period and that's called the winter solstice and in between going between those points during the year the earth as it goes from winter into spring crosses a point where the day and night are equal now why is that important because it's from that point in the spring that God told them to set, start setting the dates. So the first new moon after that was Nisan the first. And that was going to set the rest of the calendar year. Wherever day and night was the same or equal. So we see that that enables you to set the calendar. Whether you have a clock or not, all you have to do is a, a stick in the ground and you can see where the shadow becomes equal. And this is what the Jews used to set the religious year, where day and night was the same. And of course, that's called the spring equinox or the vernal equinox. And then in the fall, where day and night is the same, uh, you get the autumnal equinox. Now, the next time this will happen... Right now we're approaching winter, so sometime in December 21st we'll have the shortest daylight hour. But the next spring equinox where day and night will be the same will be Wednesday, March 19th, 2024. Now why am I putting dates? Well, you'll you'll soon see why I'm putting dates. So the key takeaway from what I'm saying is that the dates were set by the new moon. We find reference to this from new moon to new moon. And to offer all burnt sacrifices unto the Lord in the Sabbaths, in the new moons, and on the set feasts by number, according to the order commanded unto them continually before the Lord. That's in First Chronicles 23:31. So the celestial objects were given so that the Jews could set the time. The dates, and here is the takeaway, were tied to the lunar cycle. The Jews used a lunar calendar to set their year. So the very first Passover and when the dates changed was the night when they were leaving Egypt. At that time, the month was called Abib. 
Let's read it. Exodus 12, 6. And God told them that they were to commemorate this night, this Passover, and he shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. At that time, the month was called Abib. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. It's talking about the lamb in the evening at sunset. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. God goes on to tell them that this month from now on will be the first month of your year. So the Jews from that point on kept two calendars, a secular calendar which began in Tishri and a religious calendar which began in Abib which later on was called Nisan. And the key date of all of this, of course, if we go back to what Daniel said, was he gave these 70 weeks, these sets of seven, and they culminate with the Messiah being cut off. Let's read it. Daniel 9.25. So now we've covered the fact that the dates were tied to the cycles of the moon, and now we're told the number of years that from Daniel's time roughly to when the Messiah would come and then he would be cut off. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be 49 weeks or 49 years plus 62 uh, sevens and the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. We're being given a date. We're being given a marked a place to put a marker in this prophecy. That is the critical mark. We are not given the date of his birth, but we are given the date of his death because that was when the price was paid. That was when the lamb was sacrificed. That was the Passover. And this is so important because this date is begins a count. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. So the key date is when was Messiah crucified? When did he die? Well, we can uh, come to that date several several ways. Of course, you can calculate it through the prophecy, and we'll do that a little bit later, but there is another way to know when he died. We know, according to Scripture, that he was the fulfillment of the Passover. That means he was the Lamb, as John the Baptist said, that took away or takes away the sin of the world. So he was crucified on a Passover. He was crucified on a Passover. And so we are also told that he was three days and three nights in the grave, which means that he could not have been crucified on a Friday, despite the way the world uh, looks at it. It's, there is no such thing as Good Friday. So let's look at it, and we can work backwards. We know, according to Scripture, that they came to the tomb on the first day of the week in the morning, and he was already gone. So we can work backwards from that. And so sunrise, the first day of the week, was the feast of first fruits. So that night at sunset, the Saturday night, was the end of the Sabbath. And the feast of first fruits 
began at sunset. So Jesus actually had arisen sometime after sunset on the Saturday. So up until that time, we have one morning, and that would have been the third day. Let's work backwards. And then we have another morning on the second day, and an evening to morning of the the third day. And by working backwards, we can see to get three days and three nights, Jesus would have had to be crucified on a Wednesday. And of course, this works out perfectly with the fact that he presented himself on the Sunday, the 10th of Nisan, Palm Sunday, and was with them three and a half days, just like the lamb was in Exodus. And it fulfills the typology and the symbology perfectly. So what this tells us that we're looking for a date when Passover fell upon a Wednesday, sometime uh, around between 28 AD and 34 AD. This helps us tie it down because there is only one date on which Passover fell on a Wednesday. This tells us, of course, that Jesus had to have died when Passover fell on a Wednesday because that's the only way you can get three days and three nights. During that time, there were two Sabbaths because Passover was also a Sabbath and then you had the regular Saturday Sabbath. And of course, because it's the moon and the stars and the sun and they are in regular cycles, it has been calculated and it's easy to look it up that AD 31 was the year that Passover, the 14th of Nisan, fell on a Wednesday. So because of God's providence in using the moon and the cycles of the earth, we can tell you exactly the date that Jesus was crucified. And it was AD 31, April 26, on a Wednesday. And that is the probable date. Of course, remember now that that's for Israel. And that would be the time in Jerusalem. And of course, around the world, there is different hourly dates. Uh, The first of the month of Nisan would have been April the 12th. And of course, we have other evidence for this in the New Testament. Let's read Luke 3. Luke tells us uh, when the ministry started when when John the Baptist's ministry started now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea and of the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene this was showing the division of Palestine at that time under the sons and uh, of Herod the Great Annas and Caiaphas being high priests, the word came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. This tells us the start of John the Baptist's ministry, that it was in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Now we know that John was only six months older than Jesus, and we know that John's ministry was not very long. So again, this gives us a date for the start two of Jesus' ministry, which overlapped John's uh, by a little bit. So the 15th year of Tiberius started in October 20, AD 27, to October 9th, AD 28. And when you add three and a half years to that, of course, you come to AD 31. So 
the mystery of iniquity has always been going on. Satan's plan to destroy God's uh, plan for deliverance has always been going on. He's been trying to mess up the timeline. In fact, there have been so many changes of dates and calendars, but still, because it's the moon, and that's not going to change, man can change his dating system, but the moon and the sun have not changed uh, since God created it. So we have the fulfillment of the part of the command because Messiah was cut off and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the first part of this prophecy came to fulfillment. The Roman soldiers in AD 70 came under Titus and they destroyed Jerusalem and wiped out really the Jewish population. They crucified a million, more than a million Jews. They cut down whole forests. Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, he looked and he wept. And he said, if you had only known the time of your visitation. So we know the end part of when this prophecy of Daniel was fulfilled. And of course, in Nehemiah, we get the beginning part of this prophecy being fulfilled. In Nehemiah, we know the story of how they were now captives in Babylon. And Nehemiah had become the cupbearer of the king. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1. And the words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace. You see the Bible here is giving us dates. And Hananiah, one of my brethren came and he of certain men of Judah. And asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped which were left of the captivity. And concerning Jerusalem. While he was in, in Persia. Serving the king, there were some Jews that had come from his homeland and told him the state of the country, how terrible everything was, the few remnants that had survived. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept. And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, when you do that, you're making yourself available for God to use you. And the king, of course, noticed that and sent him, as you know, to Babylon. Sorry, from Babylon to, to Israel. And when they returned, they started to build back up the the city and the wall. And the, the Bible gives us some more dates in Ezra chapter 7 verse 4. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims and unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go from Babylon and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem. Okay, so we know that he left on the first day of the first month, which was Nisan. Amen. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. So we know something about the timing now of when the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem. Remember, we were told it was 62 plus 7. So that's 69 times 7. So a total of 483 years. 
483 years. If we were to work backward from AD 31, that gives us the 26th of March, 457. And of course, that is the year that the command was given to rebuild Jerusalem. See how, how absolutely astonishing the prophecy is. Jesus was recognized on AD 27th, remember, as the Messiah. That was the first time anyone declared him to be the Messiah. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Remember, we showed just, just before that John began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius. And I know I'm throwing a lot of dates here, but uh, follow me on this. So we see first of Nisan, AD 27, Jesus is recognized as Messiah, fulfilling the prophecy given 400 and something years before by the angel to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. So you can be sure the rest of this prophecy is coming to pass. John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John seeth coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That was the first time publicly that Jesus was declared to be the Messiah to everyone. Yes, his parents knew. Yes, Simeon had said, had confessed over him. But this was the first time publicly to everyone, John the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So now, let's look at Jesus' ministry. So he started his ministry sometime, maybe about six months or, uh, or there so behind John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 3 verse 23, we're told, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as he was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. So about eighty twenty-seven, And when you add three and a half years to that, it takes us to the spring of eighty thirty-one. Again, we can know when Jesus died. So the count started with his death. The count started with his death. In Hosea chapter 6 verse 1, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. After two days will he revive us. In the third we will raise up and we shall live in his sight. Two days, two days, representing 2,000 years. After two days will he rise us up. The count began at Jesus' death. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. He shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So now, remember, God told us in Genesis that he had given all these things for signs. How do we know we're coming up to the end of the 2,000 year, the end of the two days as prophesied? Because there have been so many signs in the last few seven-year cycles. Starting in 2014, we had what's known as a blood moon tetrad. This is a lunar eclipse. There were four of them. Two in each year. 2014 was two. 2015 was two. But that's not what's unusual. What's 
unusual and way beyond coincidence is that each of them fell upon the beginning Jewish feast and ending Jewish feast for that year. April 15th, 2014, the lunar eclipse, the blood moon, fell on Passover. In that year at the last feast of tabernacles, October the 8th, Sukkot, this month, it fell on tabernacles. The the next year, the same thing happened. We had four blood moons in a row where the feast fell on the beginning and ending. Now, that doesn't happen um, in over a thousand years. Yes, there are blood moons, but that what God was showing, remember in Genesis he says, there shall be signs. What is that signifying? What is that telling us? Well, it just so happens that 2014 was the beginning of a Shemitah year, or as uh, that's what the Jews would call it. Remember, he told them that they were to keep uh, seven-year cycles, and that in the seventh year, the land was to go fallow. It just so happens that for hundreds of years, the Jews were not keeping it. But at the beginning of the 20th century, the Orthodox Jews did some calculations and they did some research to find out where they should be in the cycles. And so starting in 1924 and 25, they began the seven-year cycle again. And it just so happens that 2014 was the beginning of a seven-year cycle. Now, three and a half years after that, which would have been 2017, was another biblical fulfillment. The day after the start of the Jewish year, which happened to be on the 22nd of September, 27, there was an alignment in the skies, in the constellations, that almost word for word fulfilled the prophecy in Revelation. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. On that date, three and a half years into that seven-year cycle, there was a cosmic alignment of the constellation Virgo with the moon at her feet and Jupiter in the womb representing the king. And there was the constellation Leo of a crown of 12 stars on her head. And the constellation, the the, the planet Jupiter moved from what would be her stomach or womb and appeared to be um, born. And so that was almost a literal fulfillment. Now that alignment, again, only happens once every several thousand years. In fact, only once in 7,000 years would that alignment happen. Remember the prophecy. These celestial objects are there for signs. God is already giving us signs. 
in that same year, in August, there was an eclipse that went across North America in that same year. It went from uh, the north or, or northwest to southeast. And that was on August 21st in that same year. Three and a half years roughly into that seven-year cycle. Next year, on April the 8th, there will be another full solar eclipse that will cross America. This time it will go from southwest to northeast. And I'm showing both paths there. Now, it just so happens too, uncoincidentally, that April 8th next year is the beginning of the Jewish sacred year. That means that date, April 8th, 2024, is the beginning of another um, Jewish year. That means it is Nisan 1 on that year when we have that, that eclipse. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what I think it means. It means the end and the beginning of a seven-year cycle. So that's what it means. Now, what's going to happen uh, will yet be determined. But what I want to show you now, and I, this is more of a Bible study, um, very deep, but I'm hoping that you will be edified. What I want to show you now is some of the cycles. I told you that beginning in 1924, the Jewish scholars resumed calculating the seven-year cycles. They were following from Exodus 23 and from Deuteronomy. Let me read it. And six years thou shalt sow thy land and shalt gather in the fruits thereof. But in the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, and the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with thy olive yard. Deuteronomy 15.1. There was an additional thing that was supposed to happen. At the end of every seven years... Thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother. Because it is called the Lord's release. So at the conclusion of every seven years, it was called the Lord's release. Now, if you can look at the chart that I'm showing there, you will see that 2016 to 2017, based upon on their calculations, would have been a jubilee year. And then the count would have started again. And so 2024, 2324, the secular year started last month, goes into 24 will be the seventh year, either the start or the ending of something. So what is going on? 
What is starting and what is ending? Well, let's look at what was going on before this latest war broke out. Starting um, with many American presidents, there has been a push to try and bring peace to the Middle East. Starting with Jimmy Carter in the 70s, he was able after the Yom Kippur War to bring Egypt and Israel together to sign a peace treaty. But that did not quite fulfill the prophecy because it was only Egypt. Remember, it was with the many. He shall confirm the covenant with the many. And then that went on for several years and then finally there was a, a, a peace treaty with Jordan. And then there were the Oslo Accords with uh, the Palestinians. And then, of course, there was a war between the Palestinians in which they split up the West Bank and Gaza. And the more um, violent and uh, militant group, Hamas, took over Gaza. And what was left of the PLO took over the West Bank. But all through this time, there has always been a push to try and bring peace to the Mideast. So this continued when President Trump became president and he appointed his son as an envoy to go and try and bring peace because it was still only Jordan and Egypt. And so they call this thing the Abraham Accords. And I'm just going to read what the... What the um, Wikipedia says it is, the Abram Accords are bilateral agreements on Arab-Israeli normalization signed between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain on September 15th, 2020. So they got two more Arab countries to join the group. So now you had five. You had Egypt, you had Jordan, you had now United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. What was left was Sudan and Saudi Arabia to make seven. Concerned only Israel and the United Arab Emirates before the announcement of a follow-up agreement between Israel and Bahrain on September the 11th, 2020. On September the 15th, 2020, the official signing ceremony for the first iteration of the Abram Accords was hosted by the Trump administration at the White House, as part of the dual agreements, both the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain recognized Israel's sovereignty, enabling the establishment of full diplomatic relations. So now, what has happened? Well, this year, President Biden has been trying to bring about getting the last two into the agreement, Saudi Arabia and Sudan. And from what I have studied and understood, they had made quite a lot of progress. But of course, uh, the Iranians did not want this to happen. They did not want there to be an accord. Now, all of you know what has been happening. So uh, Hamas attacked Israel on the end of the feast of tabernacles, Sukkot, on the eighth day. And of course now, that has mean that these Abraham Accords 
are going to be paused or delayed. Now, why is that? Why did that happen? Well, I think the timing is not quite right yet. The timing is not quite right yet, and I will, in the subsequent lessons, go a little bit deeper. The Bible tells us in Luke twenty-one twenty, and when he shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, you know the desolation thereof is nigh. What will this situation do? Well, what I think it will do is when Israel goes into Gaza, they are going to have to do so much destruction in trying to get to Hamas, because this is one of the most densely packed regions on earth. It's a 25-mile strip by about six or nine miles wide that has two million people. That the countries of the world are going to start dropping off in their support, are going to start pulling back. When he shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Now this may be Satan's plot, but God is still going to use it to bring about his will. What is going to happen, I believe, is Israel will go in and they may be there for several weeks to several months, but bit by bit, world opinion is going to change because we can work from the end of the book and we know that Israel will be left alone. Where were things happening just before this? Let's read what this foreign uh, relations group said. Three years after the signing of the 2020 Abram Accords, remember they were signed in 2020, and we're coming up to the three-and-a-half-year point, a series of bilateral agreements between Arab countries and Israel There's a window of opportunity, this was the plan, to add Saudi Arabia to the roster, said Israeli Ambassador to the United States, Michael Herzog. If we can get Saudi Arabia to join the trend, it will be groundbreaking and no less historic than the Abram Accords. This goes on to outline what the plan was even up to last week. But the timing was not quite right in God's plan. Satan wanted to uh, destroy Israel, and he's using whatever means he can. Daniel 9.27, it will still yet to be fulfilled. And he shall confirm the covenant with the many for one week, set of seven. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. What I expect that will happen is sometime after the next election, after we fully get into the next cycle of seven, maybe early or spring of 2025, that there may be this covenant signed when you will have the many, not just Egypt, not just Jordan, but you will have the many, at least seven, Sign the covenant. And then the countdown will truly 
have begun. But this is not to make us worried. The Bible says, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Amen. This means that Jesus' coming is right on our doorstep. Right on our doorstep. Amen. It means that we should be going out and being his witnesses. We should be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Next week I will continue and I will teach a little bit more detail and go into the cycles of seven, showing exactly the timing. I'm not predicting any dates. I'm just showing you what God has given us to study and to understand. This is not the time to draw back, but this is the time to draw closer. Wherever you are, if you could pray with me right now, Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we ask it, Lord God, that it will build faith in our hearts, that we look up as we see the day approaching, as we see the timeline counting down. Lord, that you have granted us to be the end time saints. Lord, either to be here at your coming, Lord God, or be one of those that are resurrected at your coming. Lord, we thank you right now for your greatness and your love, your favor and your blessing. Continue to make us your disciples. Continue to make us bold to proclaim your name, to proclaim your gospel. Lord, to preach this gospel to the ends of the world. Lord, wherever we are, Lord, to make your your name known. We thank you right now. We pray for the safety of Israel, Lord God, for all innocence, Lord Jesus. We ask for your mercy and your grace, Lord, but we know your will will be fulfilled, that Satan will be defeated and you will be victorious. Hallelujah. And that we will reign and rule with you. We thank you right now, Jesus. Hallelujah. For your Holy Spirit and your continuing power in our lives. We take dominion over every plan of the enemy, of destruction, of chaos, of doubt. And we thank you and give you all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.